know that. Um, cows you can turn out and turn them loose on public land and they'll graze, right, and do just fine. Sheep won't. They'll get eaten. They'll die. They'll walk off a cliff. They won't move to go find new feed. They've got to have a shepherd in order to survive. A shepherd's job, both with the flock of sheep and as a pastor, is really threefold. To lead, to feed, and to protect. That's what a shepherd does. And we might not have a full-time shepherd right now at Community Church, but there are still people in place to lead, to feed, and protect this flock. Um, I didn't clear this with the uh, executive committee, but um, I seldom do, so (laughs) I'm better at asking forgiveness than permission. But if you serve on the executive committee, would you just stand for me just for a second? I want a chance to publicly thank you for your service. Thank you to each of you very much. Um, Thank you for your service to us and to this church. Um, I've seen and heard your hearts and commitment from some of you, and uh, there may be times where it feels like a thankless task, uh, but it shouldn't. So thank you. Thank you for serving. Um, I have confidence that this church will come through this transition period and eventually be stronger, be more effective, and be a greater blessing to this community, in part because of the executive committee. Thank you. Um, Thank you, too, to those that serve on the staff here. Um, Thank you for standing in the gap right now. I also have confidence that we'll come through this transition period because of whose church this is. This morning I want to remind us um, of several truths from Scripture um, about whose church this is. And this is one of the reasons I have confidence that we will move forward. Um, And hopefully when we're done, you will share that confidence with me, okay? So... If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 16. It will also be up here on the the screen. Matthew chapter 16, um, verses 13 through 18. I'm going to read from my Bible if I can see it. Um, Hopefully it's the same translation. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. All right, a couple questions. A little trivia time. Whose church is it? Yeah, it's Christ's church, right? Who's going to build the church? Christ will, right? I will build my church, he says. Upon what will he build it? The rock. All right, what's the rock? That's... Not, not as easy to answer, is it? 
But we're going to try to answer that this morning. Because upon this rock, he said, I'll build my church. There are several schools of thought about what is the rock. What does Jesus mean here? Some would say, well, it's the person of Peter. Others would say, no, it's Peter's confession. It's his recognition that that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of the living God. We've really got to have a little more context for this, okay? Biblical interpretation, there are three main points, three main parts of any good interpretation. Context, context, and context, okay? It's kind of like business with brick-and-mortar businesses, right? It's all about location, location, location. Well, to interpret the Bible, we must have context. It's critical. So a little more context. Let's back up. And we're going to look at Jesus' first encounter with Peter. John chapter 1. Just a couple verses here. It'll also be up there. John chapter 1. Patrick's faster than I am. Um, John chapter 1, verses 40 through 42. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which, when translated, is Peter. It's a rather curious introduction, isn't it? No, nice to meet you. Heard a lot about you. In fact, Peter doesn't even say anything. Jesus just looks at him and goes, you're Simon, son of John. I'm going to give you a new name. It's going to be Peter. I actually take great comfort from this passage. It inspires me. I call it the divine potential passage. I like to give passages nicknames. My own nicknames helps me remember them. Divine potential passage, and I'll explain why in just a minute. But last year, 2017, was a little challenging for me health-wise. I'm getting up there, age, a little older. 52 now. Um, some of you are laughing. I, I take it that that's the older ones that are laughing. Um, but it was, it was a challenge to remind me, gosh, I'm getting old. Uh, I started, I, uh, I, I had to go to the eye doctor. I ended up getting glasses, um, not to read, but um, for distance. Then I had back surgery. Uh, in late spring, and then I kind of rounded out the year with a heart attack in December. This is a banner year. Made me feel old. Now, obviously, I, I'm not wearing my glasses this morning because um, I, they're for distance. And since it's probably more important that I be able to read my Bible and my notes this morning, it's, it's really a pain to keep taking your glasses off so I can read, Right. Now, the bummer is that I really can't see you guys. In fact, I don't even know if I'm in the right church this morning. Um, it's not that bad. Um, but in the last couple months, I've really noticed that um, seeing things up close is getting a little bit harder, too. 
You know what I mean? There's some of you are going, eh. Right? So some of the smaller fonts, I can't see. I'm always bumping it up to like 14. Um, some of the real fine print, I just can't see anymore. I get my wife's cheaters and wear them. So, you know, the writing's on the wall. I'm, at, I'm headed for bifocals, right? Now, nothing shouts old age like bifocals to me, but maybe wearing sweatpants around the house, which I do already anyway, so. Um, bifocals, is it transition lenses? Is that the other name for them? There's not a line anymore, it's just... So, the ability to see things up close, to focus on things that are up close, and look up and still be able to focus into the distance, right? Jesus looked at Peter that day with divine bifocals on. He sees him up close and says, You're Simon, son of John. I know all about you. I know where you're from. I know your past. I know your parents. I know the good, bad, and ugly about you. But then he looks up through the upper part of the lens, through divine potential, and says, you're Peter. I see who you will become. By the way, I think God looks at every one of us this way. Not just who we are, but who we'll become. Once our lives are surrendered to him, once we're filled with his spirit, with his power, Once we're filled with his love and purpose, you will become Peter. Receive a whole new purpose in life. The Greek word for Peter is the word Petros. The word for rock in Matthew 16 is the word Petra. Petra is a feminine word, has a feminine ending. Petros is a masculine word, has a masculine ending. What is Jesus referring to when he says the rock? Let's keep looking at Matthew 16 a bit. I call this, remember I give everything a nickname. All of you have nicknames too. Um, The divine, I'm sorry, the name calling passage. This is the name calling passage, the Matthew, Matthew 16 passage we read. Not in a bad way, but a good, good way. It's all about Name-calling. Jesus starts with, who do people call me? What do they say about me? And the disciples say, well, this, 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 you know, John the Baptist, Jeremiah, Elijah. And then he says, what about you? What do you call me? And Peter answers and says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. You're right, Simon. You're right. And Jesus said, by by the way, Simon, son of John, you got this from my father, not from yours. In other words, flesh and blood didn't give this to you, reveal this to you. It took an act of God, my father, to give this to you so you understand who I am. And now you're Peter. You're no longer the guy I met several years ago. You're a changed person, transformed You've gone from death to life, right? You've gone from darkness to light. You're no longer even the same person. And upon this rock, I will build my church. 
See, I think the rock that Jesus is talking about is a changed life. Lives that are filled with his love, his purpose. Lives that are no longer self-centered, but are kingdom-centered. That's why 30-some years later, Peter wrote in 1 Peter, you also are like living stones, rocks, are being built into a spiritual house. Who's the builder? Jesus. What are we? The building materials. (laughs) The rocks that he is slowly putting into place, one on top of another, top of another. The rock that Jesus wants to build his church on is us, is our changed lives. Once we belong to him, when we say yes to him, and we surrender, and he has full access, he can start building, building on us. He will build his church. He doesn't stop building his church when we go through a tough time, when we go through a transition period. He's always building his church, bringing it closer and closer and closer to completion. Now, in 1991, um, after an illustrious eight-year career at Western State, um, that was for one degree, um, I finally wore them down, and they gave me a diploma. Um, And right after that, my best friend from college and I joined Campus Crusade for Christ staff and went to Mongolia. Now, no, it wasn't punishment. We didn't do something wrong to get sent to Mongolia. We actually went there by choice. But um, we went to Mongolia to, to show the, in large part, to show the Jesus film and begin some work. Um, in 1990, Mongolia had come out from under the, the grip of 70 years of communism from the Soviet Union. Okay? It, w- it was not formally part of the Soviet Union, but it was a satellite country, completely dominated, controlled by the Soviet Union. Um, so it had had 70 years of atheistic communism. Prior to that, uh, the country was held hostage by centuries of Tibetan Buddhism. Uh, it was a dark place. And in 1990, all of a sudden, the Soviet Union crumbled, and with that came an openness. And missionaries could go to places, the former Soviet Union, Eastern Bloc countries that they couldn't get to before. Um, in 1991, when we arrived there, there was two tiny churches. Actually, there was one church that had just undergone a church split. Uh, there was about 50 to 75 Mongolian believers in the, in the entire country. Two and a half million people, about 700,000 in the capital city of Ulaanbaatar. And there was two tiny churches There's more people here this morning than in those two churches in Mongolia, in all of Mongolia. That was 27 years ago. Now there are over 100 churches just in the capital. There are hundreds more throughout the country, in every province, among the nomads. There's churches all over. Last month, in January, Annette and I attended a Mongolian church service in Denver, Colorado. Mongolian-led, Mongolian-speaking, Mongolian pastor church service. There's even 
Mongolian churches in other parts of the world now. Jesus built his church among the Mongolian people. That gives me confidence. God is always building his church. And I have confidence that he is going to build this church too. And he will use us. Right? He will use us. So, I just want to remind us to pray for the executive committee. Um, Pray as they lead us into the future. Pray for wisdom and unity for them. I believe that um, they'll keep us focused on our mission, on the right trajectory. They they also kind of need to wear bifocals, right? They need to be able to look up close what's going on right now, the current reality, but they also need to keep an eye in the distance at, at the mission, the trajectory we're on. So we need to pray for them. It's, it's not going to be an easy task, uh, but I know it's one they take seriously. They need our prayers. They need our involvement. One of the ways that... Um, helps in getting the up-close view of a church is by evaluating. We need to evaluate from time to time. Evaluation involves measuring stuff, doesn't it? Um, You have to have something that's measurable at some point. Um, To measure and evaluate things are not unbiblical ideas, okay? In fact, they're quite biblical and require faith. And at the same time, I want to say that it is not accurate to say that success in church ministry is simply a matter of being faithful, because it's not. I had a black lab that was very faithful, most ineffective, unproductive dog ever. (laughs) He was faithful, though. A little different meaning there, but... Uh, It's just not accurate to say that success in church is is about just being faithful. There are many pieces to measuring measuring our success and fruitfulness as a church, and we need to do it. We need not to shy away from it. One of those pieces is finances. Can we talk about that? Yeah, that's okay. Jesus talked more about money in the Gospels than any other one subject, you know, Uh, It's okay to let finances be one of the pieces of the evaluation puzzle. We need to. Partially because I like to come to worship on Sundays with lights on and heat on. and Right? There's bills to pay, right? Um, But also because it's one of the things that God uses to help us see our own devotion. To see where our hearts are at at times. Um which is what's important. God wants our hearts. And, you know, there are two things early on in the Old Testament that God instituted for the Israelites to help them understand and see where their hearts were. One was tithing, the area of of money. For them, mostly it was bringing the first crops or fruits, right, and giving them back to God. Was important, it was an important thing for him. The, the other thing he instituted early on was circumcision. Now, men, if God has a hold, so to speak, of those two areas of your lives, good chances are he has your hearts. You know that? So, it's okay to talk about money in church. It's not the only thing we evaluate. 
But it certainly has to be one of them, right? We don't, however, need to talk anymore about circumcision. Um, another measurement that we must take in, in evaluating ourselves as a church is numbers. Do you know that? It's good to know. Are we growing? Are we shrinking as a church? Are we reaching new people or not? I went through the book of Acts this week, and I counted 18 times, 18 times that Scripture tells us that the church grew and increased in numbers. You know that? 18 times. How did they know? They counted. It's okay. We want to be effective. We want to be productive as a church, right? These are both things that, that we need to look at, among others. There are others, too. And really, it's an evaluation that we need to do from time to time because it's an evaluation of us, right, as a church body, for all of us. Of course, being faithful is important, but it's not the only measurement of success for a church. It's simply not. In fact, being faithful is directly tied to action and results. And Jesus himself taught us this in the parable of the talents. And we're going to close with this. I'm not going to read the passage for you, but in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, I would encourage you to read this this week sometime. Matthew chapter 24 and 25, um, is, it's Jesus' longest discourse in Scripture. His longest uninterrupted speech that he gives is in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. And it begins with the disciples asking him about the end times and his return. That's what spurs it on. And then Jesus goes on from there. And he begins telling the disciples at the end of the age what it will be like, things that will happen uh, just prior to that, things that will lead up to his return, things like wars and famines and earthquakes, and and the gospel will go out to all people groups. Um, But more importantly, he shares what he wants us to be doing as a church until he comes back. He does this using about five or six parables. Talks about what it would be like on the earth, some of the difficulties. He talks about what the rapture will be like. Um, Talks about how he expects us as a church to use our time. Talks about uh, the day and the hour of his return and how no one knows when it will be. And it will be like a thief in the night, just like that. And he talks about what, what he will find us doing when he returns. There's a question for you. What do you want God to find you doing? What do you want Jesus to find you doing when he returns? At that moment, what what, what do you hope he finds you doing, involved with? That's a great question to ask. Annette, my wife, had a dream years ago, it was right before we were married, um, that has impacted me so much in relation to this. Um, She shared this, and let me be clear, it is not meant to be prophetic in any way. But she shared this with me and it had such an impact and I've shared it with many others. She is, is um, working 
with a people group somewhere in the world. Um, she, it's a small, unreached people group that don't have a church yet. Uh, maybe they don't have scripture translated into their language. She's walking on a, a small dirt road in a small village, and she's holding hands with two little children. And the Lord returns. The Lord returns right then. And I, I've thought, oh my gosh, I hope that's what I'm doing. I hope I'm doing something like that, you know it? Or I hope I'm sharing the gospel with somebody. I hope I'm in prayer, something. I mean, I hope I'm not on the sofa with potato chip crumbs on my chest watching a soap opera, you know? Really. I hope I'm doing something like this. What do you want him to find you doing when he comes back? Because if we're not doing it now, chances are he's not going to find us doing that. By the way, I spend enough time on the couch. I don't watch soap operas, but sometimes there's potato chip crumbs on my shirt. Um, assuming you're alive, what do you want him to find you doing? Then comes the parable of the ten virgins, which is a parable about being prepared and watchful for his return. And then he gives us the parable of the talents. And the parable of the talents contains the phrase that we have made so famous that something we all hope to hear one day, well done, good and faithful servant. That's where it comes from. And in this story, Jesus helps us to understand that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is like a man who goes on a journey and before he goes, he calls in three of his servants and gives them different amounts of money, gives them talents. Talents is just a measurement, a weight, probably of gold. To one, he gives five talents. To one, he gives two talents. And to one, he gives one. And it says each according to their ability. Then after a long time, the master returns. And the first two come to him, the guy with five talents, and he goes, I doubled it. Invested it wisely, and he brings back to the master ten talents. And the second one, the same. He started out with two talents, and he brings back four, because he invested it wisely. And Jesus says, well done. The master says, well done, good and faithful servants. Enter into the joy of your master. But to the other one, who was given one talent, who didn't do anything with it, he just buried it in a hole. And when his master came back, he dug it up and brought it back to him. He didn't even get interest on it. That servant is rebuked. Why? Because God expects results. You know that? God expects results. That's the point of the parable. He has entrusted to us a very precious gift. Many gifts. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we should be seeing them grow. You know what? As a church, we need to be sure that we're being good stewards of what he's given us. That's why we need to evaluate from time to time. We need to look in the mirror and say, am, am I being a good steward of everything God's given me? Because we all want to hear, don't we? We all want to hear, well done. Right now, during this time of transition, we might have a, a tendency to you know, say, you know what, let's just kind of sit back and wait. Let's see what's next. Let's see who the next pastor will be. 
let's play it safe. Play it conservatively. Kind of just sit on our hands right now. Last week, the uh, Philadelphia Eagles won Super Bowl 52. It was an awesome game. I don't know if you got to catch that. Mostly because the Patriots lost, but it's not like I'm a huge Philadelphia Eagle fan, but my favorite teams are the Denver Broncos, of course, and whoever's playing the New England Patriots, right? So I was very happy with the outcome. But Philadelphia won that game largely because they didn't play it safe and conservatively. You know what? They didn't. They went for it. They went for it even on fourth down on their own side of the field. Let's not just play it safe. Let's not just sit back as a church and go, well, we'll just kind of see what's next. We all have a responsibility to carry on and expect God to use us, right? We do. We need to be reminded of our calling. Our calling is first and foremost to him in relationship with him. Next, we are called to each other. You know that? Like it or not, we're stuck with each other. God has called us together to be a body. And lastly, we're called to them, to people that aren't here Sunday mornings, to people who aren't in churches on Sunday morning. That's our calling, right? It's not that hard to, make, to know him and, and to make him known. Let's ask God to use us, to use these changed lives build this church and to have a greater impact on this kingdom for his sake. Okay? Let's pray together. Father, uh, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the reminder that um, you are the one that will build your church. And yet, each of us have a part to play in that. You've given us gifts. You've given us talents. Um, or to use them for, for you so that you can build your church on us. Lord, would you be pleased to do that? God, would you bless the executive committee as they can continue to meet and lead? Would you um, give them wisdom, give them unity? And Father, for next hours, we go next door and share food together and share ideas. Would you bless that time? Help us to come ready to be a part of things. Father, we love you. We are grateful for the fact that you will build your church. In Jesus' name, amen.